Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? I have to say that I am very excited to be here. This, uh, this church has a real distinction in that I visited over probably 600 churches in the past 10 years, and this is the closest church to my house that I've ever visited. I could have literally jogged here because I live in Anamai Hill. As a matter of fact, my wife wanted me to jog, and I said, no, I'm going to get in the car. That's okay. But uh, anyway, really is, is great to be here this morning, and uh, we had a great service this morning, the first service. I probably ran into some of you people at Starbucks or Fresh and Easy or maybe the movie theater, but now when we do run into each other, we'll know what we look like, right? I met a bunch, uh, you know, after the first service, so really great to be here, and uh, I think we're going to have a good morning, good service, and uh, for me, it's great, and go right home and relax later on, so this is all good. And, you know, every time I come up and speak, my prayer is really always the same. I say a little prayer before I come up, same prayer every time, realizing that I'm just a messenger here this morning, people, and I really mean that. I'm not here to impose my faith on you. I'm not here to try to turn anybody into a Christian. It's not what I do. It's not what any of us are supposed to do. I think our role really is just to share what the Lord has done in our life. And um, I know that if you're here this morning, God wants to plant a seed in your heart. I know that. And, you know, by the way, I'm not here by accident. You know, it's funny. I was here um, on Good Friday. I got a, a flyer, and it was at my door. Many of you got it, I'm sure. And there was no other service, so we came to this church. We sat right over here. And I had never known that Influence Church was here before. And we left. And then about, you know, seven, eight weeks ago, two months ago, this church came up, and I was being here. And I said, man, you know, that sounds familiar. So I asked my wife, did you ever hear of Influence Church? She said, uh, yes, you, we, we were there on Good Friday, you know, but... I visit so many churches, sometimes I forget the name. But um, I'm not here by accident, and neither are any of you. Now, I know if I ask for a raise of hands and you guys wanted to be honest, some of you guys are going to be honest with me. You're going to say, hey, you didn't come here to hear the gospel message. You just figure, Sopranos is off the air. Let me go see what the real mob guy is all about, right? <laughs> it's okay. Whatever God uses to get you in the door, that's okay, but you're not here by accident. And I realize that if you're here this morning, God wants to plant a seed in your heart. He really does. And my prayer is, Lord, let me be effective. Let me be passionate enough in delivering this message so that you can reach out and touch the heart that you want to touch in this room this morning. And really, that's what it's all about, people. Now, it might be one person. And I've had those one persons come out after the first service. guy said to me, Mike, I didn't expect to be here this morning. He explained to me a little struggle that he had in his life. And he said, the Holy Spirit really touched my heart through your message. And that'll happen. It'll happen again after the first, second service. It happens all the time. Okay? And some of you are going to walk out of here and you're going to say, you know what? Good story. Heard something like that before. You're going to go about your business. But I will tell you this. God doesn't waste opportunities. Okay? He will plant a seed in your heart this morning. Now, it may take 20 years before that seed is watered and nourished. But let me tell you this, people. Once God's got a hold of your heart, He will never let you go. So you may as well make it easy on yourself. Start today because God's going to get you. And uh, before I start, I want you to take a, a good look at me, and I'm very serious about this. I'm probably the most blessed, most fortunate person that's ever going to walk up on this stage and talk to you about anything. And the reason I say that is because if I would have followed the path that I was on, continued the road that I was on, I'd either be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. And quite honestly, that's what I deserved. That's what I earned, having spent over 20 years on the street every day, and I mean every day, in violation of both God's laws and the laws of man. 
And I did it knowingly and willingly. Nobody pushed me into this life. My dad actually tried to keep me out of it. I didn't have any drug addiction. I didn't have anything overcome with me. I was a knowing and willing sinner, people. And I did it every day of my life. And there's no way to sugarcoat it. And I realize God has made it crystal clear for me in this process that he's put me through over this past 20 years that if he didn't have a different plan and a purpose for my life, I wouldn't be here this morning. No doubt about it. Crystal clear. And God's got a plan and a purpose for every one of you. You know, when you get a little older, you realize we didn't come into this world just to have a family. And I love my family as much as anybody does. But that wasn't my only purpose. I didn't come into this world, obviously, to be a good mob guy. Okay, to be a good businessman. I came here because God had a plan and a purpose for my life, and he does for every one of you. And you don't have to have a mob story. You don't have to have all this drama that I had in my life. Okay, you have a gift or a talent that God wants to use. That gift or a talent may be to bring one person to the Lord. But remember, all of heaven rejoices when one person comes into the kingdom. That might be your purpose. And if you do that, we're on equal ground. And I believe my purpose is to be an encouragement to all of you. That's it. I travel this country quite a bit, and now I've been traveling outside our borders to spread the good news. I'm in front of thousands of people on a monthly basis, and I mean thousands, both live and on social media today. And I will tell you this, in the last three years, two and a half, three years, I've never witnessed the amount of discouragement and despair in the hearts and minds of people as I had in this past three years. We're going through some tough times in this country. This is not our grandfather's America anymore, and I don't believe it ever will be. Things are changing and changing rapidly. Not too long ago, I'm in a city in the Midwest. The unemployment rate in that city was over 30%. Not too long ago. Over 30%. When I was finished speaking, I was at the book table signing books. We had a line. A guy comes over to me, puts his arm, his hand on my wrist, rather. And he says, Michael, I need to talk to you. I need two minutes, please. I excused myself. I saw he was struggling. Went over to the side and said, hey, brother, what's up? He said, Mike, I heard everything you had to say, and I want to be encouraged. I want to believe that God has a purpose for me, but you don't understand. I've lost my job. I can't find another. My home is in foreclosure. My wife and I have been married over 20 years. We're going through some real struggles. People, let's face it, you don't live on love alone. Economic problems come into the house. They can wreak havoc. We live in the real world. He said, my teenage kids, I'm losing control of them because I can't provide for them like I once did. And he said, I got to confess this to you. It's heavy on my heart. I've been on the internet every day doing some very sinful things just to take my mind over the condition of my life. How is God going to forgive me? How is he going to use me? I can't even get out of my own way. Can't take care of my family. Really struggling. Not too long after that, same deal at the book table, a soldier who had been deployed in Iraq came up to me at the table. said, I need you for five minutes. He was angry. I went over to the side. He was mad at me for a minute. He said, you know what? I heard everything you had to say, but you don't understand what my life was all about. He said, I did horrible things above and beyond my country's call of duty when I was deployed overseas. I have nightmares. I can't get over this horrible things. How is God going to forgive me? You don't understand. And I said, hold on a minute, bro. I do understand. Little different circumstances in my life, but I know where you're coming from. And I want to tell all of you in here this morning, the same thing I told those men. If God can forgive me, and I believe he has people, and there's no arrogance in that at all. I struggled mightily with forgiveness. You don't do what I did and just think you snap your fingers, get on your knees, say a prayer, and it's all over. No. I struggled mightily with forgiveness. But I came to realize over the time that the entire message of the Bible, 
The entire message of the cross is about forgiveness and God's grace. It all leads there. And the message is loud and clear. If we sincerely and honestly confess our sins, no matter what they were in our life, and remember when I said sincerely and honestly, I'll tell you this, I pulled a lot of scams on the street. I know I can't pull a scam on God. He knows my heart. And if we are honest with Him, and we accept Him as our Savior, then we are forgiven. Past, present, and future. That's the deal. The Bible is perfectly clear. Our Lord and Savior died a horrible death. He suffered and was humiliated and died a horrible death for the forgiveness of all sins. And if you think that it wasn't good enough for you, then that's your problem, not His. All sins. And I want to be an encouragement to you because if God can forgive me, and like I said, I believe He has, and not only forgive me, but give me my life, give me my freedom, a wife that I adore, children that I love, a ministry that I never asked for. I never asked for this, people. I ran from this. I couldn't see the name Michael Francis next to ministry. It didn't work for me for a long time. But then I was doing this, and it seemed to have an impact. And the Holy Spirit was working on me. And finally, one day, I said, you know what, God, maybe this is what you want for me. I don't know. I'm going to give it my all. And from that point on, God allowed this ministry to grow. This isn't my ministry. I don't take credit for this. Not what I wanted to do. But, you know, God puts us through this process. And the closer we get to him, he reveals himself to us. That's the secret, people. I'm going to tell you this. It's not about rules and regulations in this life. It's about relationships. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And when you enter into this relationship with Jesus and you develop it, He comes alive in your heart. You develop this like Jesus conscious where you're guided throughout your day by what He would want from you. That, that's not to say you're going to be perfect. You know, people, oh, Christian, you know, He's such a good Christian and then He sinned. You know what? Where in the Bible does it say that we're going to be perfect? Nowhere. It says just the opposite. But you know what the sign of a Christian is? When you do sin, you have a conscience about it. And you get on your knees and you ask for forgiveness and you move on and you do better. And the closer you get to Jesus, the easier it is to ward off the things that distract us in life. That's the secret, people. That's how it worked for me. If I do something wrong now, it bothers me. I may do it anyway. I fall, same like all of us, but not as much as I once did. And hopefully each day you get a little bit better. And that's it. So I want to be an encouragement to all of you. And I will tell you this. Selfishly, I want you to walk out of here differently than when you walked in. I take this ministry very seriously. I've asked God, God, if this becomes a business for me, take it away from me. I did a lot of business on the street. I don't want to do business in ministry. I don't think that's serving the purpose properly. Okay? So I hope you walk out of here a little bit differently than when you walked in. That's the prayer, and that's what this is all about. So I'm going to tell you a story, and it is a mob story, but don't focus on that. People, you want to know my story, the mob stuff? I'm everywhere. I'm all over YouTube. I'm all over uh, uh, Netflix. They got a st story about me, Nat Geo, Discovery Channel. You can turn on and find me anywhere, and you'll hear the mob story. It's not important. It's part of my life, so I've got to share it with you because God worked through that evil that I was involved in at one point in time to pull me out of there and bring me where I am today. I want to confess this to you. Last night, I went to the movies. I went to see Black Mass, the Whitey Bulger story. Why? I have some connection there. I knew the people that he was involved with and so on and so forth. And I go see these movies because they're doing another movie on my life and it just kind of researched for me. And I want to tell you this, for the first time, I was in that theater last night and I'm looking at this movie and I'm saying, how dark is this stuff? 
This was what I was a part of. And I almost felt like a foreign person to this. And this was my life. 20 years ago, I would have felt comfortable there. And I said, wow, God, this was actually... And I realized how much of a transformation I've gone through. Not for perfection, don't get me wrong. But how, how, how far away I've gotten from that life. Praise God and thank Him for that. And I'm not encouraging you to go see the movie. I mean, you know, I see these mob movies all the time, but it was a very dark movie. Acted brilliant. I mean, Johnny Depp, they're all terrific, but extremely dark. And it really impacted me. And I'm just so grateful for where God has brought me in my life. So you're going to hear a story, a little bit of mob story. My big challenge here is to try to get through this. I went over my time a little bit in the first service. It's always the challenge, not because I want to stay up here, people, because like I said, I really want you to be impacted by what I have to say, especially if you meet me at Starbucks and say, hey, you did a lousy job that morning. I'm only kidding. (laughs) Anyway, so here's the deal. My dad was the uh, underboss of the Colombo family back in the 60s, one of the five New York Mafia La Cosa Nostra families. And that's a very powerful position. In that life, you have a boss, an underboss, a capo regime, a captain, and a soldier. Many of you have seen The Godfather. There is a position called consigliere. Robert Duvall played that role and played it brilliantly, but in The Godfather, it was fictional because in order to be a sworn made member of that life and take the oath, and you do take an oath, your father must be Italian. Mom can be of another descent, but your dad must be Italian. And my dad, in terms of law enforcement investigation, media attention, he was very high profile, always under investigation, always a major target of law enforcement. And I'm sure I grew up a lot differently than most of you in the room. My dad was kind of like the John Gotti of his day, back in the 60s and 70s. I grew up differently than most of you in this room, and that I grew up hating the police, hated law enforcement, hated the government, hated them. And not because I was taught that way. My dad didn't teach me that way. He was smart. He taught me to respect the law. But it's really because of what I witnessed as a kid growing up. Their tactics, techniques against organized crime, very different back then than they are today. Today, everything is very covert. Undercover informants, high-tech surveillance equipment. Today, a guy can be under investigation and not even know about it until it's too late. Back in my day, when they were under investigation, they wanted him to know about it. And for a period of about 10 years, when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, Long Island, my dad was under investigation from seven or eight different agencies, FBI, IRS, Queen Detectives, Brooklyn DA, all the locals, you name it, they were on him. And every one of these agencies had a car parked around my house 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is cornered on all sides. I was one of seven kids. Whenever we as a family would leave to go anywhere, we had a parade of law enforcement vehicles following us. Everybody knew when we were coming into the neighborhood. And I witnessed some things that were kind of unpleasant back then. Rough detail. Every once in a while, the agents got a little out of hand, did some things that weren't too, too cool. I remember one day, I was 10 years old, playing ball in the street. And we lived on kind of an incline. Kid throws a ball, it goes over my head. It rolls down to where two agents are sitting in their car. One guy gets out, big burly guy, right? And he stops the ball with his foot. So I approach him and I said, excuse me, sir, can I have my ball back? And he looks at me, pulls his coat aside, had a gun in there and said, this is for your old man one day. Scary stuff when you're 10 years old. Another time we went out to eat as a family, sat down in a restaurant. They used to file in, sit in a table behind us. This one particular night, Nassau County detective got a little out of hand, passed by my table, made a nasty remark to my dad about his family. He didn't like that. You don't disrespect my father, especially in front of his family. Dad jumped up, went right after the agent. The agent got scared. My dad was a tough guy. Pulled out his gun right in the middle of the restaurant. I remember my dad saying, go ahead, I'll drop you before you get off a shot. Good stuff when you're eating, right? Everybody started screaming. Me and my brother jumped in between them, separated them, pulled them apart. You know, normal stuff you do when you're a kid. And um, I didn't like them very much back then. But I want to make this very clear right now, especially to the young people I see sitting in here this morning. 
I do not feel that way anymore. I finally realized in my life that they were the good guys and we were the bad guys, at least most of the time. Look, any walk of life, anybody can get out of hand. Okay, but people, it's amazing. It's amazing how God can not only transform a heart, and I believe you know he can do that, but how he can transform a mind, how this whole distorted sense of view I had growing up where good was bad and bad was good. God's been able to fix that. And today, some of my dearest friends are in law enforcement all over this country. Coincidentally, tomorrow, I'm having lunch with the uh, second in command of Beverly Hills Police Department and the city attorney. I get a little nervous when they call, still till today, when they ask me to go to lunch, but no, we're just friends, right? It's amazing. And I, it's all over this country, and not because I share information. I don't do that. We're just friends. And I realize that many of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. We really are all one in the kingdom of God, people. It doesn't matter where we came from. And I'll tell you this. I spent almost 10 years in prison with a lot of young kids coming into our system, 21, 22, 23 years old, mandatory minimum drug sentences, 15, 20 years. In a federal system, no parole anymore. You got 20, you're doing 17 and a half. You're 22 years old, you come in with that kind of time, your life is just about over. Very hard to recover from that when they get out under that influence in there for so long. And I ministered to a lot of these kids because I had a heart for them. Even before I was a Christian, I got seven kids of my own. I really have a heart for kids. And same story. I mean, just so pathetic. You know, broken home, no father figure in the house, mom trying to do her best, sometimes not trying to do her best. They gravitate to the local gangbanger, drug dealer. Before you know it, they're doing their bidding, and they end up in jail or, God forbid, something worse. It's a sad story, and it's happening all over this country. We're losing so many of these kids. It's terrible what's going on today. Me, I believe the whole thing is the, the breakup of the family. That's the root of all the problem. How do you expect these kids to survive? They got more negative influences at their fingertips than we ever had as kids growing up. Everywhere they look, negative, negative, negative. And they don't have that guidance. It's tough for them. So I minister to them. And I do that until today. I'm in high schools, middle schools, juvenile detention centers all over. And I give a very strong anti-crime message to these young kids. Tell them straight out, you don't get away with criminal conduct in America anymore. Forget about it. Law enforcement is too sophisticated, too many weapons. You go that route, you're going down. And one of the strongest messages you can give our young people today, it applies to all of us, obviously, but really to our young people is this. You are who you hang out with in this world. You hang with the wrong crowd. I don't care if you live in a great neighborhood, go to a great school, got great parents. You hang with the wrong crowd. You're going to be known to be the wrong type of person, and they will influence you the wrong way. I want to tell you a secret. When I came to Christ, I didn't get a lobotomy. I don't forget the 20 years I put on the street. You know, I get off the plane in New York sometimes. A guy looks at me the wrong way. I'm ready to go. It's like 20 years of ministry out the window, and I'm the mob guy again on the street. It happens like that. You know, we must surround ourselves with good people. We must be influenced in the right way. I've been so blessed to have people around me that love the Lord, that care about me, that keep me accountable. I'm having a bad day sometimes. I'll get on the phone with one of my Christian brothers and say, Hey, bro, I need some help here today. i got some bad thoughts going through my mind. This guy rubbed me the wrong way. And we work it out, we talk, we pray, and that's how you get right on track. We weren't meant to go through this solo, people. We were meant to be surrounded by the right people. That's why church is so important. It's where you come and hear this great music, you know, and you worship our God. You hear a great message from the pastor that prepares you for all the stuff we have to deal with during the week that sometimes we don't know where it's coming from. You're in fellowship with like-minded people that love the Lord, and it sticks. We need this kind of stuff. 
So parents, grandparents, if I do come to your schools and I'm all over the place with that, don't worry about it. I give the kids the right message because that's what I believe. But back then it was different. And I love my dad. I didn't care what people said about him, what I read in the newspaper. Great father, great husband to my mother. I idolized him as a kid growing up. And, you know, he would never try to bring what was going outside in his world into the house. In the house, we were family. He didn't want to even hear about anything. We never even discussed it. We were family as best as he could make it happen with all the stuff going on. And, um, you know, he didn't want this life for me. Wanted me to go to school. His dream was for me to be a doctor. You're going to be the first professional in the family. I had decent grades in school. I was pretty good. And I was an athlete. And I want to tell you a little story. It kind of honors my dad. Um, I was a jock in school. I played all three sports. My dad would never miss a game. No matter what he was doing, mob business, legit business, I'm playing ball, he'd show up. Baseball was really my sport. And this happened so often, I'll repeat it. I'd be playing ball, and I'd be up to bat, right? I'm up to bat. I look out of the corner of my eye. Here comes dad. He would drive up in a big black Cadillac or a black Lincoln. That's the car he drove. For those of you my age, remember those 1960 Cadillacs? Their fin was half the size of this room, right? You couldn't miss them. So he would always come late. He'd never go into the parking lot. He pulls right up to the, to the field, right? He gets out of the car, dressed sharp in a suit. My dad never dressed any other way. Always have five or six guys with him. He'd never travel alone. So they get out of the car. They walk onto the field and into the stands. I'm up to bat. The umpire would take one look at that crew. He'd never call strike three on me when he saw that. I used to say, hey, Pop, you're very good for my batting average. I played football. Nobody would tackle me when he was in the stands. It's good to have a dad and a mob when you play sports, right? He was great, really great. And uh, he got in some real trouble in the 60s. That's when everything started to cave in on him. He was indicted twice in the state of New York, once for grand larceny, once for homicide. Went to trial, very serious cases on both of them, but eventually was found not guilty at trial in court. And, uh, but then in 1966, he was indicted in federal court for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies. After a lengthy trial, he was convicted and in 1967 sentenced to 50, 50 years in prison. In 1970, after he lost all his appeals, they shipped him off to Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas to do his time. I was a pre-med student, Hofstra University, second year. I was devastated when Dad went in. I figured he was 50 years old when he went in there. Add 50 on top of that, he'd never come out of prison alive. Just as an aside, today, my dad's 98 years old. He's done almost 35 years in prison since 1970. He's been in and out five times, each time on a parole violation, and each time for associating with another felon or somebody alleged to be an organized crime. You can't do that when you're on federal parole. When I was on parole, I had 526 people on my separation list. They actually give you a list with people you can't associate with. Some of them on a list I never heard of. Some of them were dead. They don't even let you go to a cemetery and meet with anybody. The feds are tough, right? My dad had a problem with that. He'd come out. He would meet with people, thought he was being covert. They'd surveil him. Okay, catch him, lock him up five times. About five, six years ago, he was in a penitentiary in Milan, Michigan, on his fifth violation. And I went to see him. I said, Dad, come on, man. You're 93 years old. You've got to stop meeting with people. He said, Son, what do you want me to do? I don't know anybody that's not a felon. He said, Even you're a felon. I said, I know that, Dad. I said, you're allowed to see me. It took me two years to get off his list. I was number one on the list. Feds are tough, let me tell you. But uh, my dad's old school, very cantankerous. You know, it's, uh, I'll tell you the sad thing about him, though. He did get out on that last violation, and uh, within two years, he was indicted again on another federal case. Went to trial, got convicted. They gave him another eight years. My dad's back in prison now at the age of 98. His release date is 2017. He's got to live to be 100 to get out on this one. Now, for 98, he's in pretty good shape, but he's still 98. Very sad, very sad with him. 
And uh, I'm going to ask you to do me one favor here this morning, and that is pray for my dad. His name is Sonny. I believe very strongly in the power of prayer, very strongly. And I will say this, God bless the women. I have women coming up to me all the time. Michael, I've been praying for my husband for 20 years. I tried to drag him in this church. He wouldn't come. Praying for my father for a lifetime. He said, I want to buy you a book. You know, he likes the mob stuff. Maybe that'll get to him. Hey, who knows what God's going to use to reach to somebody, right? But God bless the women. Don't ever give up on prayer. Don't ever do that. Because one of the greatest stories in the Bible is what? The thief on the cross. Sometimes we just overlook it. It was a thief hanging there. No, everything is in the Bible for a reason. That thief in the last few seconds of his life, I don't believe he knew Jesus before that day, but he saw something in our Lord's heart. And he looked at our Lord and he said, Lord, remember me today in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? He didn't judge him and say anything. He saw that his heart was sincere. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the kind of God we serve. It might be in the last few seconds of our life. It might be a deathbed experience. But pray for your loved ones and pray for my dad, Sonny. I want him up there. He'll drive me crazy, but that's okay. I want him up there. He's coming around. When I try to minister to him, he looks at me like I got two. You know how it is when you, you come to the Lord and you're trying to minister to your family. They think you lost your mind, you know, and you got to deal with that stuff. But, you know, he'll come around. But uh, uh, so that's that. And um, I'll give you a little mob trivia in case you're around a coffee table, you're playing a game or something. My dad is the oldest federal inmate. He's probably the oldest inmate in the entire system in America at 98. He's also the oldest living made man in America. My dad took the oath 66 years ago. He goes back to Lucky Luciano and all those guys, Costello. He's kind of a legend in this life. Look him up. But uh, hopefully he's going to be a legend in the next. That's where I want him. Anyway, um, and so um, when my dad goes in, I'm devastated. Joe Colombo was the boss of my family. He kind of took me under his wing. I started to meet a lot of my dad's friends. Mike, what are you doing going to school? If you don't help your father out, he's going to die in there. Now, I'm really impacted by that because people, I want to tell you this. My dad did a lot of bad things in his life, no doubt about it. So did I. I went to jail for a crime that I was guilty of. I pled guilty. But that particular crime that he did all that time for, he was innocent of. My dad was no bank robber. I'll take that to my grave. I investigated that case thoroughly, spoke to every witness. They recanted their testimony. We gave them lie to test the test, proved they lied at the trial. We can never get the conviction overturned. But what does that show you? It's the message I give to these young people. You put your hand in the fire long enough, you're going to get burnt. The system's not always fair. You put a bullseye on your back, they're going to get you. You're going to lose at some point in time. That's just the way it goes. That's life. Okay, we've got to live in a real world. You want to avoid that stuff? Just avoid it. Stay away from it. Don't put the extra baggage on your shoulders. That's what I preach to these young people. Life is tough enough when everything is good. We don't know what's going to happen. When you put this extra baggage on your shoulders to carry through, it gets really, really tough. Okay? So I go see my dad in Leavenworth. Dad, I'm not going to school anymore. If I don't help you out, you're going to die in here. I got to help you. He was upset. No, I don't want this for you, Mike. Stay on the right road. Boom, we're going back and forth. We're arguing about it. Right? Finally, I was a pretty headstrong kid. He threw his hands up. I'll never forget. He said, okay, son, but if you're going to be on the street, I want you on the street the right way. In his mind, the right way was to become a member of his life. He said to me, go home. Somebody's going to be in touch with you. Do whatever you're told. That was it. He didn't break it down for me. And he said, this is what's required of you. Go home and do what you're told. You know, you're not supposed to talk about that life with anybody outside of the life. It's a secret life. And my dad, if he's anything, he was a good soldier. He wouldn't violate that policy, even with me, his own son. Go home and do what you're told. That's it. And me, he knew I had it in me. Obviously, he knew me. And me, I didn't question him. 
I said, wait a second, Dad. Everything I know about you, I know from the media, I know from other people, I know from observation. You never sat down and taught me anything or told me anything. Never would talk about it. I didn't question him. I love my dad so much. Whatever he wanted me to do, I was willing to do to help him out. I had blind faith in what my father asked of me. Now, you know, when you finally come to Christ and you enter into this relationship with Jesus, and again, if this wasn't testimony, people, I would talk to you all morning about a relationship with Jesus. Cut to the chase. That's what it's all about. When you finally enter into that relationship, as some of you have experienced, you're going to look back in your life. You're going to say, you know what, God, now I get it. Now I know why you put this person in my life. Now I know why you gave me this great joy, why you allowed me, not caused me. God does not cause us to go through problems and struggles. That's just the world. We live in a fallen world. But he allows it to happen. You're using all of these experiences, Lord, good, bad, and different, everything in between, to prepare me for what my purpose is in life. And yes, God uses even the bad experiences because what the enemy meant for bad, God turns around and uses for good. Remember that. And for those of you that doubt that, let me ask you a question. You've been struggling with drugs. You've been having a problem. You've been a bad guy. You've been a sinner. You clean up your act. Well, let me ask you this. If God didn't use sinful people and sinful experiences, okay, to fulfill his purposes, who would he have to use? The answer is nobody. Isn't Paul an example of that? The worst of the worst. He described himself like that, not me. God said, no, I'm going to clean that all up. You're going to work for me, and you're going to be a, a real ambassador for me. That's what God will do. That's what he does for us. But I didn't question him. But this meeting was very significant. Because of this meeting, I did question God from that point on. I challenged him. I said, you know what, God? I trusted my father more than anything in this world. And look where it got me. I followed him blindly into this life. I did it for him. Look where it got me. You take it a step further in my life. I took a blood oath. I surrendered my life to La Cosa Nostra, this thing of ours. People, you come into that life, you got to give it all up. They shed your blood for a reason. You've got to be in it, body, mind, and soul, or you don't survive. It's a whole subculture from everything else that exists. We've got our own rules, our own regulations, our own policies. We live in a different world. You've got to be in it all the way, or you don't make it through. I said, God, I did this twice in my life. I put everything I had into this, and look where it got me. And it got me in a very bad place. I'll get to that. I said, I can't do it a third time. If you really are God... If this Bible is written by men, but inspired by you, the blueprint for our life. And that's what it is, people. Blueprint for our life. And if you take it a step further as a Christian, we're to believe that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. No gray area. Black or white. Jesus or nothing. And people that say there's arrogance in that, no, there isn't. If that's the truth, how is there arrogance in truth? We believe it to be true. And if we want to share that, don't call us arrogant. Call us trying to share the truth with you, not impose it upon you. God didn't impose it upon you. Why should we? But we're going to share it because we believe it to be true. And that's our mission in life. We're to share this with you. Well, you know what, God? You're asking a lot from me. You put me on this earth. You gave me a free will. You said I can have one of any hundred faiths or I don't have to have any faith at all. And now you're telling me this is the only way to go. Well, you know what, God? You've got to prove it to me. You've got to show me the evidence. I challenged him just like that. Show me the evidence. And people... I know a little bit about evidence. I've been to trial five times. I had two federal racketeering cases and three state cases. I've been to more grand juries than there are people in this section of the room. I've been to more parole hearings that you can imagine, four trials of my dad. I've been in front of the Supreme Court on constitutional issues in my dad's case. I know the law. And evidence has played a major, major part of my life. I'm a cynical guy. I'll, make, I'll be honest with you. 
because of the way I grew up. You're not selling me the Brooklyn Bridge when I'm paying attention. I want to see the facts. I want to see the evidence. That's how I judge and, and, and resolve things in my own mind. And when I challenged God and said, show me the evidence, you know what? He didn't get mad at me. He didn't say, how dare you ask me? He said, you know what? I didn't make you a robot. I'm looking for you to ask me. You know why? I am God, and I do have the evidence. And it's about time you woke up, Michael. I want to tell you this. When I finally did that, and I did my search, and people, I did, I found out that there is more evidence, more rock-solid evidence to prove that the Bible is God's word and that Jesus is my risen Savior. Because I don't know about any of you. I'm not putting my faith in anybody that's dead and buried in a tomb. I learned long ago, dead people don't help us. There's more evidence to prove that than there is anything else that exists in the world. And if you do nothing, you give yourselves an opportunity to know that. For you guys, I do a lot of men's group. I love to get down with the guys. It's kind of a man's world that I'm still in at times mentally. Don't get me wrong. I love my wife and I have five daughters. So yes, I, a lot of that. But you know, the men, it's that man thing that gets me. There's nothing more powerful than this relationship, this bond, this brotherhood with men. That's what attracted me to that life. I was going to have a bond, a brotherhood with my dad. This relationship was so, it was intoxicating to me at one point. Okay? If you do nothing, you give yourself the opportunity to prove that. Because I want, I want to tell you this, people. You know what all of your goal is in life? Our goal is to get to heaven. That's it. Now, how we get there, who we bring along with us, that's God's deal. But our goal is to get to heaven. And to do that, you've got to believe. You've got to love our Lord. You've got to believe in Him. And the way you believe in Him is by, by doing the work, doing the research, and then letting Him come into your heart. And then you see the difference. That's how it goes. You can't love or believe in something you don't know anything about because somebody told you that's it. No. God's got to fill your heart. And you've got to believe it. And then you come away maybe as passionately as I am. And I found out this, people. I want to get to this. I'm, I'm going to go over my time, but not too long, because I respect your time, and I know it's Sunday, and everybody wants to go out. But I'm going to go over just a little bit, because I think this is important. I want you to know that when I came to Christ, I did it differently than most of you in here. From the time I was a little kid, five years old, my dad drummed it into my head, Mike, you've got to be a man's man. That's the standard in life you have to live up to. You've got to have respect. People got to respect you. You've got to respect women and children. You've got to walk down the street with your head held high. That's the kind of man that you have to be. I heard it from the time I was a kid. When I came into the life, the same thing. We've got to be men's men. We're men of honor, all that stuff. And I used to look up to the guys that I thought were men's men. My father, Sonny Francis, Fat Tony Solano, boss of the Genovese family. He and I were tight. I really looked up to him. I thought he was a man's man. So when I came to Christ, realizing that Jesus was a man, I separated his manhood from his deity, and I first wanted to study what kind of man he was. Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, show me. And people, I'll only tell you this. When I did that, and I studied the New Testament, there was no greater man that ever walked the face of the earth than Jesus. He was perfect in every facet of his character, in everything that he did in his life. It was total perfection. You can't find a flaw in him. And that's what drew me to him. I always say he first appealed to my intellect, and then I went down into my heart, because I realized who he was. Amazing man. There's nobody like him that ever walked the face of the earth or that ever will. If you want to emulate someone in life, you emulate Jesus. And people, we're at a time in life where we have to be bold for Jesus. There's no shame in being bold for him. Okay, you sit down with people and you show the kind of man he was. Nobody can dispute that. Nobody. It's indisputable the way it's recorded in the New Testament. Then they'll go to the argument, well, how do you know the Bible is real? That's a whole other argument. You've got to show them the evidence there. That's what drew me to him. 
I left there that day. About two weeks later, a captain and family picked me up, took me to see the boss. I had to go through this process, people, where I was a, a recruit. And for two years, I had to do anything and everything I was told to do to prove myself worthy. That life comes before anything. And you're told that. If your mother's sick and dying, you're by her deathbed, we call you to service, leave your mother and come and serve us. We're number one. That's how it breaks down. You've got to be into it all the way. Halloween night, 1975, after I proved myself. And people, I want you to know this. When I proved myself, I had to do some things that I didn't want to do. That life at times is very violent. If you're part of the life, you're part of the violence. And I'm not saying that to you. It's hard for me to talk about this. But I'm saying that for you, for those of you that are struggling in here with your own sin. You say, how God's going to forgive me? Well, if you believe that God has done a work in my life, and don't let it end here. Look it up. You know, this is 20 years for me now. God has been working, working, working. If you believe that he can save me, probably the worst guy in the room at one point in time, what are you worried about? That's the only reason I'm up here. As an example, it's not about me, people. God uses us to be an example of the light that he shines on all of us if we allow him to. Halloween night, 1975, proved myself worthy. I was called into a room with five other gentlemen. That night, we all took an oath and became sworn made members of the Colombo family, an oath that I took very seriously back then. I take it seriously today, even though I don't consider myself a member of that life anymore. You know the deal. You come into that life. You don't sign a contract. There's no retirement age. You can't say, hey, I'm done. What I know about the life is in my heart, my mind. I'm not going to forget they say when you leave that life, either leave in a coffin or join the government, enter a witness protection program. Well, obviously, I've done neither. I never testified against any of my former associates. That's not where I was coming from. I just wanted out of the life. Very solemn ceremony. Dimly lit room, lit, lit, late at night. They wanted you to understand how serious it was. I walked into the room. Individually, the boss was seated at the head of like a horseshoe configuration. The underboss and the conciliary to his left and right, and all the captains were alongside of them. Walked down the aisle, stood in front of the boss, held out my hand. He took a knife, cut my finger. Some blood dropped on the floor. This is a blood oath. I cupped my hands. He took a picture of a saint, Catholic altar card, put it on my hand.